you hear any like noises or the pitter patter of small feet on ground, it's a very upset dog. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a libertarian. And this is... Really? <laughs> anyway, it's Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA Television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end or we'll explain them. Or if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, Matt Nix, or anyone involved in the Burn Notice crew, please get in touch. Uh, you can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at all, ever, 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 unless your name has graced the hallowed halls of the Burn Notice office at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burn notice pod and as always those are burn noticed with a d like the name of our podcast and not like the name of the television show burn notice how are you nope. doing brie i'm all right i i'm surprised you're surprised that i used to be a libertarian i very I mean, much give off libertarian energy i, I mean 100 like. you do i'm not actually surprised at all that was fake surprise for the podcast <laughs> listeners okay yeah my first and uh, my my greatest black flag not black flag but like the the greatest black mark against like my identity as we have a record of is the fact that uh, for the first time that I was ever able to vote in a presidential election was 2012 and I voted for Gary Johnson. Oh my God. And then as if to like punish you, your dad worked for him. Oh my God. We, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing, but um, it's true what they say. If you go to college, you'll get less conservative. Um, And it's because surprisingly, not that there is some kind of like, pedophile liberal cult but it's because when you learn things you stop being conservative (laughs) in case there's any more republicans listening to this um i mean you can keep listening i guess but just know i don't don't believe that you're educated no No. yeah at this point at this point i definitely don't anyway that's good how you doing brie beyond being (laughs) beyond like no longer being libertarian um that's a relief. I mean, it's the it's the new year. It's the new new year. New year. year. I mean, it's not the new me. It's also hard because, like, for me, like I set out all these different New Year's resolutions and everything, and of course, I'm gonna only uphold the ones that have to do with my professional development, none of the ones that have to do with my personal health. But I am also giving myself a pass because I haven't yet moved. By the time this episode comes out, I think I will at least be gone from New York. But at the time of recording, we have a little bit under a month left in New York City. And it's like, I have such senioritis. Like, I'm like, I'm not making progress on anything because I hate New York so much and most of my stuff isn't even here anymore. And I'm just so fucking ready to be out of here. Even if I end up in Colorado for more than we planned, I just, I just need a fucking change of scenery. I can't, I can't be here anymore. I'm so over it. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So that's, my mindset is, a month from now, I will not be in New York, and that's giving me at least something to get through. I came into this episode, or I came into this recording day having a topic for this episode, and then I completely blanked on it. So thank you for doing that, for no cutting problem. yourself open and bleeding for the podcast. <laughs> bleeding you know right what? on the microphone. 
I I have to I always am prepared to cut myself open and bleed for this podcast. You know, if you're not willing to put all of your blood, sweat and guts into the work that you're doing, then why do it? That's the libertarian way. <laughs> oh my god. And much like uh times are changing and you will be leaving New York City soon, we are about to be leaving season 4. <gasps> But not before we have the season finale. Uh, season 4, episode 18, Last Stand, which aired on December 16th, also on December 16th, 2010. So it must have been like a two-parter finale. It was a kind two-part of a finale. It wasn't that. And this one was written by Big Daddy Nix himself, of course, and directed by Steven Sergic, which he's directed a couple of episodes before. Mm-hmm. And he will go on to direct more. And yeah, like, and now he basically does all genre stuff. He does a bunch of superhero shows. No, oh, that makes sense for him, especially for like an action heavy kind of episode. But yeah, it yeah. kind of seems like for the season opening and the season finales, they don't really experiment. They don't have like a new person. Like it's rare that it's a person's first burn notice, um, at least for like the directing, because Matt Nix always writes them. So I, yeah. I was not surprised to see his name or a familiar name in the director's seat. Oh, yes. Yeah, I and I thought this episode was directed fine. Like, it's a big yeah. action episode, but it looks good. And I think there were some really nice character moments that we don't always get in the finales. Um, they usually seem a lot more forced than, at least in my opinion, prior to discussing this episode, I felt did not seem forced this time. Oh, see, I totally thought they did. But we'll get into it. But before we get into it, I gotta let you know the premise, according to IMDb. Michael, Fee, and Jesse are trapped in an abandoned hotel, held under siege by Vaughn's team of killers. Meanwhile, Sam and Madeline are forced to turn to Congressman Cowley as their only hope to save them. Alright, you feel good about that? I feel good about that. Let's get into the weeds. Let's get into these weeds. Alright, so the episode starts, and Michael and co. are trying to figure out how deep the shit that they're in is. And it turns out, it's quite deep. Vaughn definitely has someone high up in the FBI, like, in his pocket, and he is pulling out all the stops coming after Michael. And Michael decides the best play is getting the list to someone powerful enough to do something about it, which is what they should have done in the first place and not wasted all this time with Marv. I mean, I can see, like, because Marv was still well-respected within the, you know, within the company, and, like, they had a connection to him, and so far the information he'd given them was good. I understand why they tried to do that first, because if they could get a reputable person that they they have come to trust to turn in the list, then they, they I think they could have all slept better at night. Like, Crowley, I, I understand why they didn't go to him first, you know, because he's a loose cannon. He's only in, for, in it for himself, and if he doesn't think that he can get a big enough promotion, that, you know, or a big enough, like name in the history books he's less trustworthy he i can i understand what you're saying but i also understand why they did it the way that they did the thing is i think like they should have expected that the thing that happened would happen like it's i mean like yeah a really i guess if the only if, if the only cia agent you ever talk to is this one guy uh then probably somebody would try to buy him off or threaten him <laughs> <laughs> or even like, yeah. Especially if they know you have this very high level thing that you as goody two-shoes Michael Weston are definitely going to hand over to the government. But it's also even a thing of like, the the lower that you put it in at the chain of command, the more like, op- like options that it has to get stopped. Like you have to That's take it true. to the top of the chain of command. Like, like Yeah, especially for a, an, to, like, an organization that has people in parts of the chain of command, certainly higher yeah. than Marv. Exactly. That's fair. Like, I'll give you that. Yeah. And so that's what they wind up doing in this episode. And it's like, well, fucking finally. 
um, because like the person that they're going to give it to is that one congressman that Madeline intimidated earlier in the season. And so Maddie's getting called back in and she's not happy about it. Spoiler alert, no one is in this episode is happy ever. <laughs> yeah, it's a very unhappy Everyone episode. Everyone in this episode is pissed all the time. But I love that they consider Crowley to be Madeline's like her her source. Yeah. You know? Because like there's really no reason why it should be. Like he saw the other guys. He'll recognize everyone else. But I love that they're like, no, Madeline's the one that can get through to him. Right. But to make matters worse, Vaughn calls Michael as his plane arrives in Miami. A comical amount of gun guys pour out of the plane behind him. And he just tells Michael, like, we are enemies now. I'm gonna come get you. <laughs> Real good dialogue like that. And that's the cold yep. open. So Michael decides that the best place to store the list while they're on the run is a nuclear power plant. But I mean, he's not wrong. I, I was excited that the first thing that they decided to do was like, not just go on the run, but like, we can't get caught with the list. We got to get it somewhere where it's going to be hard for them to get to as well as hard for us to get to. I yeah. thought that was a clever way to start. I thought that was a clever thing. I was sad it didn't happen. Also, not going to lie, forgot that it didn't happen. <laughs> like part of the episode like later in the episode i was like "Ooh, they're pretending like they have the list and then later i was like oh wait they do have the list <laughs> yeah because this this doesn't go very well this doesn't go very well any um, plan that happens in the first 10 minutes of a burn notice episode is never going to go very well chris haven't you learned by now i know i don't know what i was thinking but yes they have a plan though it's simple stop a truck on its way in and then plant the list on the truck where no one not even them can get to it unless they'd happen to take some pictures on their phone of it which uh, i yes. maintain is not that hard to do and it seems hard. to be the only information they need is what they can visually see yeah it seems like there's not yeah it's i'm not sure exactly like, like i feel what... like the underlying encryption has been broken already like this is the decoded list right because whoever had it like three people ago had the the or Bible as well Brennan and decrypted decrypting it. it last week. No, 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 no. It was before that. Because remember when they were when uh, Jesse and Fee were running around like trying to find who was going to decode it. Um, the right. and, and they were at like a college and all that stuff. And then like at the end of the episode, they get to a guy's house who was like a decryption specialist, and he was, and he was dead, dead. And they knew that right. if he was dead, it means then the it's list must be decrypted. Meanwhile, BFFs, Sam and Madeline, are at a campaign event for Congressman Cowley, and there's much grumbling about politicians. Like, uh, he's like a politician. He's all bad. And they're like, yeah, 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 politician bad. And Madeline is so unhappy to be doing this. I will say, like, this happens sometimes with Madeline, where, like, she gets annoyed that she has to do crime. And to me, that's less fun than when Madeline wants to do crime. I know. I like when Madeline likes to do crime. But even so, her little, her the way, as you put it, she Karens her way in. She's yeah. very effective at that. I love watching Madeline spin a tall tale the way that Michael does. And she, it's always, like, with her own spin, you know? Like, they have similarities, but, like, you know, she has the old lady angle on it. Exactly. And I think it's so fun. she can play that. And play that she does. Yes. She carries her way in and gets into this event, despite the fact that she has no reason to be there. It's not like a big, it's like clearly like a closed door fundraiser. It's not just like a rally. Right. And But I also want to give her credit for like the sleight of hand she does, where she like, she's like, I'm on the list. I knew I would be on the list. Let me just look at it. So she turns the girl at the front desk's like laptop around. And as she does, the laptop skidding across the, the table, like, picks up a name tag that she kind of like pockets from under her as she like pretends to type. And then she puts that on as she walks away. And it was a very like 
subtle little sleight of hand move. I was very impressed. No, I did enjoy that. It was very good. Meanwhile, Fee and Michael set up a road hazard in order to, like, get this, like, truck to stop. And while they're doing it, they have a shouty talk about how they want different things. Fee feels like she's in an, an alien versus predator situation. Whoever wins, she loses. This talk is cut short, however, because Vaughn's men have found them and they need to bolt. There's no way that they can do their nuclear power plant plan and that makes me sad yeah they don't get to do their fight but they will over the course of this episode i want to leave my cards on the table now i'm sick and tired of this fight i I hope that this is the end of this fight i think it is i think the implication like this is the best terms that they've parted on like at the end of this episode um and like I, I think that we're finally over it because I, okay, here's what I will say. First of all, we haven't seen this fight in a while, so it wasn't quite as open of a wound as it usually is. But like is. we we were having it a little bit last week and I feel like in the lead up to the season finale, we've been getting it a little bit more again. Right. Like in the last like, couple episodes. Time, I don't think time... it is. It feels like Larry from last week hitting the same beats. I don't know. I, I think... I think it's it's fair because like they've spent so little time this season dedicating any screen time to Fee and Michael's relationship that like for a little while, you know, they had stuff to do. So they were distracted. But now like it's getting to it's coming to a peak again where like they might actually talk about this and they they don't like I think for a while Fee was quiet because she was hoping Michael would bring it up. And when it was very clear that that was not going to happen, she was like, all right, well, fine, I got to do this again. Um, And I think that it comes back to the thing that she said a couple of episodes ago where she was like, I basically, she wants him to pick her. She wants him to have both options. She's happy to help him get back into the CIA so that he can decide to turn it down. And I think this episode, what it was meant to kind of imply is that like, maybe he won't turn the CIA thing down, but what he's also not doing is committing to a time without her. So whatever he chooses, she, instead of it being, she loses no matter what. I think the end of this episode is supposed to imply she wins no matter what. Okay. I guess it's not good at doing that. I don't. Well, no, cause Matt Nix wrote it. <laughs> like, I know. Listen, and that's the thing. And it's like, <laughs> I know, but like, I'm not going to like, I didn't enjoy any of it. And it's all that's happening in the episode. I enjoyed the the final stand, the la- the, the last the stand, final stand, if you will. When we get to the la- when we get to the titular last stand, I did enjoy that. <laughs> but there's a okay. lot of just really repetitive scenes before we get. That's there. fair. You know, Let's that's fair. To... Like when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the last stand part of it, um, and I did like that. But you know what? Fair enough. You, it, they definitely do belabor it more than is necessary because they're like, oh shit, Fee hasn't brought this up in a while. We better like remind everyone why she's mad. Exactly, and you know. Again, it's like, but it's like Larry. It's like Larry. Like, don't you understand that this is Michael Weston? Like, it's like, no, he doesn't. The definition change. of insanity. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. And it just makes them both seem like dumb. Yeah, no, it's true. Because yeah, there's ways to like. Because I, I do want to take a step back and say that sometimes when we get frustrated over like overexposit, like overexpositing. Some of it might be explained by the fact that normally this show, like the way that this show was written to be consumed was week to week and like a year apart between seasons. So there is an extent to which I respect that they do have to account for the fact that like people might not have seen this side of Fee for a year and a half at this point. However, I would submit that there are ways to exposit that 
allow the characters to grow, you know? Again, a new tactic. You can reference the fact that you've had this conversation a lot and try something new, which both reminds us what the, you know, status quo is, where we left things, but also gives us something more than just the same fucking scenes over and over again. Like, I I understand why they do this, but I also think that they could do it better. Right. I Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, so they need Anyways. a bolt from, like, the power plant, and they get into a big car chase with, like, uh, Michael in the Charger and Jesse and Fee and, like, the the blue car. And the blue Hyundai, In the blue Hyundai, which is such a good car that it's faster than the Charger, and also, like, it <laughs> doesn't get its tires shot out. And so Michael has to abandon the Charger and blow it up and then, like, jump into the Hyundai so they can get out on that fast, fast, Hyundai with good gas mileage. Uh, that was this was a fun scene. I liked it. it I liked that. First scene. of all, Michael Weston is driving in a way to block the bullets from the car in front of him, the fast, fast Hyundai. Um, but then I also liked that he had to like jump out of a moving vehicle from the driver's seat into a moving vehicle in the passenger seat and blow up his car behind him. Like it it's very masculine. Very it's very it's very boy stuff. But like it's it was fun. It was exciting. It was well cut together. There weren't like eighteen new cuts for no reason. Like it was a well edited sequence. It was a well directed sequence. I. I was hopped up on it. Yeah. No, totally. I was with it too. And then like the, but the car chase continues and they end up crashing the Hyundai. And then in the process, uh, Jesse takes a finger rebar to the leg. And so they have to take Jesse with his injured leg into an abandoned hotel. Cause I guess also real estate. Yeah. It must've been, I mean, this was in the wake of like the 2008 financial crash. Yeah. So I imagine that that was probably top of mind for a lot of people is like the abandoned real estate from the real estate boom and subsequent yeah. fall. Which is, it's interesting to situate burn notice in time. I mean, like burn notice sits <laughs> at a very specific point in time. Yeah. And it's interesting to see like it move away from like Iraq war and mm-hmm. move to like even though, like, all of this has been basically since the financial crisis, like, well, I think we started. No, it started in two thousand seven. Yeah, it was. Seven, it was at yeah. the end of the. It was the end of the. It captures the end of the Bush era, the beginning of the Obama era, and the fall, the immediate fallout of the financial crash and a yes. big hurricane. It sounds like too. So it's interesting to situate the show in time, because it's like a show that wants to be timeless, mm-hmm. but it, it's interesting the ways that it like isn't dates itself yeah the portable scanner Uh, the flip phones (laughs) oh yes definitely but yeah also just in the things that like they're having going on in the world Mm -hmm. yeah so they uh hole up in this abandoned looking hotel and brace for a siege it turns out that jesse needs like medical treatment because like his leg is actually fucked up kind of bad but they cannot go to a hospital right now for obvious reasons so they decide to just move deeper into the hotel and like look for stuff that like they can use to help make Jesse's leg not you know fall off, mm-hmm. and like Je- Fee is pissed about this too. I will say I like Fee better in this episode when she's worried about Jesse, mm-hmm. because like that's like a more immediate concern, and like that feels fresher than like rehashing like an old fight. Because it also mm-hmm. part of my problem is that like they're busy, so it's like weird for her to be like getting upset about an old fight. When, like, they need to be doing a thing. Yeah, it feels very unfee of her. Because it's not that she wouldn't hijack a situation to her advantage to, like, have an emotional conversation. She's done that, and that's always fun. Even when the, you know, what she wants to fight about is kind of annoying because we've already had the conversation. But it does, it very much feels like 
this is the centerpiece of the episode that we that Matt Nix wants to stay in, but he also realizes he needs to hit some emotional beats, and it just it's not quite integrated the way that it could be no. because like there are there are, there's certainly a case to be made for like maybe you know a lot of sieging is waiting, and there's I bet a lot of waiting time that maybe she could bring it up during while they're not in immediate danger or immediately planning something, but they're just kind of like waiting something out. That I feel like might have been a be- slightly more appropriate time, but you're right, it does feel weird when like they're actively strapping. Jesse's leg up and she's like let's talk about our relationship what are we I mean even then like yeah it's like it feels like it's not totally out of left field because obviously they're trying Vaughn is related to all that bullshit but like right again it, like it feels like Jesse being hurt feels like a more immediate concern and like I think like her being pissed at Michael because of Jesse has always been a more interesting conflict anyway mm-hmm. and so I like that and we do get some of that but Michael patches Jesse up enough to get him to the point where he can move they get up to higher in the hotel, but Vaughn himself shows up with gun guys and a phone. Vaughn calls him and does some threats, but Michael's got a plan. He's going to get to the roof, while Jesse and Fee hold Vaughn off, and he's going to use the emergency weather equipment to get a call out to the cops, basically, and all the emergency vehicles, and let them know, like, they got to get here. I will say, it was a little bit unclear what the plan was watching it. When I saw it executed, I was like, oh, I get it, but I was like a little fuzzy on it, but it didn't affect my, it didn't affect oh, it, my I, enjoyment. I understood that. They basically were like, there's some kind of thing on like a, the weather alert or something on the, the roof. Yeah. They, if they set it off, it won't be a signal that like something's wrong. It'll, it's a signal that like, this is an abandoned building. Why is the thing going off? Like we better yeah. go check that out. Exactly. Yeah. Also because of the nature of the kind of signal it is, even if they're using cell phone jammers, like, I think, like, part of why I was a little confused by it was because for reasons that, like, wind up being valid, I wasn't sure why trying to get the cops was a good idea. I think they just needed any big backup that could but they just needed any scatter big. for a little bit. Yeah, it was exactly. kind of a Hail Mary. It was, like, kind of a Hail Mary. But, like, I was, I was confused about who they were trying to contact. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I was writing a lot of notes and it was fine. But like, I figured it out. It makes sense. You're a very smart girl. Everybody knows this. Thank you. But yes, this is a plan. It will work. So Jesse and Fee prepare to fight back. And Jesse asks Fee why she and Michael are fighting. And Fee says that she's starting to realize that Michael's not going to get past this whole being burned and trying to get back in the CIA thing. This is the moment that I was like, oh, Really? And it's like, yeah, Fee, we knew. He's been inside you. You haven't figured this out yet? Yeah. And Jesse's like, yeah, Michael's not like the settling down type. And then Fee's, it's hard to tell what Fee's reaction is supposed to be. I don't think it's, it's not surprise, but it's like, I don't know. It's, this is a weird beat. Again, I don't think. Well, I think it, I think in his mind, it's like, it's ending the the love triangle potential because like there's something later that e- even though it ostensibly is to for Jesse to get the list back to Michael because at one point it changes hands like it does very much feel like all right man I see that you guys have a thing I'm gonna back out now yeah like that's it's what it like feels like it's trying to wrap up even though that's entirely unnecessary yeah but I get like it, at a season finale maybe feeling the need to do that. Like, yeah. 
It, um, the, it was mentioned in two episodes, the episode where they kissed and the episode where Michael finds out that they kissed, but nobody ever talks about it again. It's no. fine. Nobody is invested in that. I will say like the show has not always done a great job of tracking how people feel about Jesse and how Jesse feels about people. Yeah. The emotional consistency of like where relationships are at is not a high priority for them. No. Um, anyway, meanwhile, Madeline finds Callie and is he is also not happy. No one happy in this episode. However, Madeline points out that their last meeting wound up getting him reelected, so maybe they should talk. And that works. And so they find Sam, and Sam explains the whole deal. Callie doesn't believe it, but then Sam gives him some inside info on, like, the Barrett business that, like, the public wouldn't know about, but, like, he knows about because he's a congressperson who's, like, on the security committee or whatever. He's on a committee. He's on an intelligence committee. And so he's like, how did you know that? And Sam's like, I was there. (laughs) And so that kind of proves to, like, Callie that, like, this is, like, a legit thing. Meanwhile, while Fee holds off Vaughn's goons with explosives, Bagel reaches the roof, where he finds a pretty boy gun guy. This is a very pretty gun guy. Like, he's got, like, a Jack Sparrow-y vibe. He could be a pirate. That's fair. Yeah, I was thinking that he looked like the guy from the episode with Burt Reynolds that Michael uh, stripped naked and taped a bomb to. Also that, yeah. For some reason, I just, like, I can't get that guy out of my head. He's the Maybe thing. he got a new job. He did live through that, I think. I think he lived he, through like, Burt Reynolds' episode. This is definitely a guy that, like, you hire... When, like, you want there to be a bad guy who seems like a bad guy, but also not feel like this is an intimidating bad guy. But not necessarily, like, a comedy bad guy. Like, we want this to seem like a bad guy, but not, like, a threat. And he's a good actor. Like, he he sells it really well. I I had no problems with the roof scene. Yeah. I liked the moment where Michael was like, get your zip ties out and, like, tie your hands together. And he's like, I don't have zip ties. I'm like, all right. And Michael Wilson's like, okay, plan B. And he goes, "Uh, I actually found a zip tie. Wow. I found some zip ties. Oh, I guess I did have them. (laughs) But yeah, so that's what happens. Like, Michael, like, ties him up with zip ties. And then Michael goes and he sets off the, like, weather service thing. And that works. But the problem is that, like, there's a sniper on, like, another building that's got, like, a gun pointed at him. A sniper gun, even. And, Vaughn comes um, prepared. And so the pretty boy gun guy is like, yeah, no, there's no way you're getting back in this building. There's like a sniper. He's going to snipe the shit out of you. And so instead, Michael decides to rappel down the building using the pretty boy gun guy as a counterweight. So like he literally like, like he's putting, I will say he is putting a lot of trust in this gun guy's abilities. He like literally I mean, he's like. not. There's like, I think he's more putting his faith in the fact that this guy is not going to want to fall. So he's going to fight to not get pulled off the roof. Oh, no, totally. No, I'm not saying like, I said, trust in this gun guy's abilities that like, this is like a hardy enough gun guy that like, he's not just going to immediately get pulled off the building. (laughs) Because like part of me was like, is he just going to go over the side? (laughs) But like, no, he's a good enough gun guy that like, he does not get pulled off the roof. And then Michael repels down the building and gets into a window. A lot of repelling in these two episodes. I don't I know if like repelling. they had a repel. I, 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 I enjoy too. that. I like when people um, have to improvise throwing themselves off buildings. It feels very Mission Impossible to me. It No, it did feel very Mission Impossible. I like when this show is Mission Impossible. Me too. It also feels kind of like, uh, especially with the siege system, it felt kind of Die Hard 1-y. And I like Die Hard 1 as well. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, and they're like in a building. I will say like, when I realized that they were going to like get in this building and like stay in the building for the whole episode, I was a little disappointed. 
Oh, I got excited. You know me. I like it when they're forced to improvise from a point of weakness. And like, Mm -hmm. like it, it, you know, it's, it's the bad breaks formula. Like you're stuck in a scenario where you didn't have time to plan that you are unfamiliar with and you have to use what, you know, you have at your fingertips to figure out a way out of the situation. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of a boring, ugly building and there's like no other, there's not a lot of other people in it. It was like, oh, we got one set piece in this episode. I thought we might have a little bit more, but it was fine. But Michael is able to get back to Jesse and Fee using his like pretty boy repelling. And the three of them watch the cops arrive and immediately watch them turn around and leave again because like Vaughn's got a guy in Homeland Security. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, like the cops literally just do a Yui. Remember Yui's? <laughs> yes, I do remember. Cops just do a Yui and then that's out. So Michael decides that the new plan is that they're going to lure them to the top, like in the like the stairwell that that and then they're gonna blow up the stairwell with all the gun guys in it. This is a very deadly plan. It's a very deadly plan. Uh it also reminded me of Jericho. Um have you seen Jericho, Chris? I have not seen Jericho. So we, I've watched like the first four or five episodes when I was home for Christmas. Uh, Quinn and I and my mom needed a new show to watch because it was after Christmas and Hallmark Christmas movies weren't going to cut it after Christmas, of course. No. So we decided to start watching Jericho because none of us had a new show to watch together. Um, very interesting. I might go back to it. But there is like the premise is, do you know what the premise of Jericho is? I know nothing about Jericho. I know that it's Jericho so is a old. biblical reference. No, it's uh, Skeet. His name is Skeet something, and he's in. Um, his name is what? Name Skeet something. His name something. is Skeet. Yeah, it's it's like I a mean, nickname. Humans have humans have been named Skeet before. That exists, but mm-hmm. I don't know why. No, well, it's a nickname because his actual name is like Brian or something. Uh, but he, his, he's one of the dads on Riverdale now, if that means anything to you. But anyways, uh, he, it, the premise of Jericho is I'm that I'm Brian, this... but everyone calls me Ski. <laughs> and that's always been known. I'm trying to get them years. to stop. But it's a show from like the early '90s, and the premise is. Oh really? Yeah, it's it's a it's the premise is that this kind of screw up kid who's the son of a mayor in a small town, Kansas, I think is where it is. So it's like small town Kansas. His dad's the mayor. He's kind of the screw up kid. He's back in town to um, attend someone's funeral, maybe, uh, and like to hit up his dad for money before he like pieces out again. But while he's in town, a series of explosions go off, like nuclear explosions go off in a bunch of major cities around America, we learn. And they are like, outside enough to not have gotten hit by the shockwaves, but then, you know, the the results of a nuclear attack are falling out. Like there's like toxic rain and all this stuff. So one of the episodes is a storm is about to come and they realize that like the first storm post nuclear explosion semi nearby uh, is that like, it's going to be a absolutely toxic drench and anyone outside is going to absolutely get radiation poisoning. So they're trying to like get people into various bunkers, but they don't have enough space. And one of the bunkers that was used, that was supposed to be used for this, like doesn't have good ventilation. So they'd all like die there suffocating. And so the solution is they get everybody 
that can't fit into one of the bunkers that is working into the mine, the old mine, and then they blow up the mine shaft behind them. And um, the plan is like, we don't have a ton of air there either, but we're going to blow up the stairwell so that like it seals us from the radiation. And then you guys just have to come dig us out as soon as the storm passes. Um, And that was just something that I was thinking of as I was watching this. Like, wow, it feels very Jericho. Although in that case, they weren't trying to kill anybody. They were trying to save people. But still, I get it. Anyways, Jericho's very interesting. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. It's slow because it's like an early 90s show, but like, I mean, I so like so that, that I wasn't willing to watch more of it. I like, I mean, I watched X-Files. I That's am like, true. I, I tried to get back into X-Files again and I just fucking can't. I can't get through more than an episode at a time. I'm like, so bored. Also, you told me that they they get together, but not in a satisfying way and only kind of. And like, I'm not willing to give up that much of my time for an unsatisfying get together. Like Bones took six seasons and I was willing to wait that out because at least it was fun up to then and it would be fun later. But like, if they weren't ever going to get together, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have kept yeah. watching. I mean, like they do get together. It's just like, yeah. And they they have amazing chemistry. Anyway. This is a lot of time to not be talking that's, about. That's that's not enough. It's not enough for me. I need yeah. the chemistry to go somewhere. Um. Anyways, like anyway, they're so gonna yes. blow the stairwell. They're gonna blow the stairwell with all Vaughn and the gun guys in it. Meanwhile, Sam gives Callie the hard sell, telling him that uncovering this is gonna be great for him. And uh, Callie tells Sam he's gonna make some calls to check out the the story and make sure it's good. And Sam's like, okay, but like, call someone high up. Because, like, there are people in on this, like, at high levels. So you better do that. And so he goes to make his phone call. And while he does this, Sam sends Madeline away after, like, telling her that she did a really good job. They have, like, a really heartwarming scene where, like, the two of them are together. He says that she did a good job and she needs to go now. And she's like, I don't want to go. And, like, he's like, oh, Michael will be really mad if you don't go like mad at me like don't make michael mad at me and she's like okay and then she tells him to like stay out of the way of bullets or something it's a really cute scene i like this yeah i I, again anything that madeline's in is perfect but also madeline and bruce campbell are fantastic together and i'm still sad that we were robbed of sam and maddie roommates adventures oh my god so much remember when we didn't like madeline well it, the show didn't like Madeline. No, the, the thing, the show did not like Madeline. And so, like, we took our cues from the show, and the show, like, the show made Madeline suck, but now they made Madeline great, and now we love her. Yes, it's true. It's, it's, we've come a long ways. But yeah, it was, I, we always liked Sharon Glass, because, like, even when she oh, was being infuriating, Glass. she was an excellent performer. And, like, the handful of, like, heartfelt moments we got, especially between her and Michael in the early seasons, were always the best. And we always would be like, why won't you just do this all the time? <laughs> this is what we want. We don't want her being irritating. Madeline leaves and Callie returns. And it turns out that Lake, he did not listen to what Sam said at all. And he immediately accidentally tipped off Vaughn's guys. And now the police cop called and want to take him into protective custody. Like, like there has been a threat on his life and he needs to go with the police now. And Sam is like being like, you can't go with the police now. Here's the thing about this is that there's absolutely no not absolutely no reason because he's worked with the Burnett's crew before, but like he shouldn't trust these people. Oh yeah, literally, no, not like, at all. He like, literally he got like a call. There's like there's a threat on your life, and then like and then Sam is like, "What? You gotta trust the police? No, the conspiracy." And like <laughs> the idea that this works on Callie is 
ridiculous, but it does. Meanwhile, Fee and Michael rig up explosives, and Fee tells Michael that, that he should probably just bury the hatchet with Jesse while he still can, because, like, Jesse might die. And Michael's like, I don't want to do that. If I don't have to, I don't want it. A, he doesn't want him to die. He doesn't want to, like, plan for that. But also, he doesn't want to have a conversation. He hates having conversations. <laughs> but it's also funny because you mentioned, and you were right a couple of episodes ago, like, Jesse seems fine. He's, like, calling Mike Mikey again. And, like, they seem fine. I don't know what hatchet needs to be buried. They seem to be functioning as normal as possible. They seem fine. I don't know why this is suddenly, like, a thing that, like, She's like, you have to deal with this. It does seem weird. Michael doesn't want to, like, deal with this right now. So they just meet up with Jesse. And then Fee calls Vaughn. And Fee puts on this big performance that, like, Jesse's hurt. And so she wants to cut a deal. And she's going to let them in and tell them where to go. As long as that all of them get to walk out of this alive. There's actually, like, a moment, too, where, like, Vaughn even brings up, like, how in an earlier episode he had, like, tried to give her a deal. And, like, Michael and her have, like, this weird look of, like, yeah, that did happen. (laughs) So, back to Sam and Callie. They're trapped, like, by the water by the cops. And, like, Sam can't get a hold of Michael. So, like, Sam just badgers Crowley into calling his intelligence buddies for help. So, like, it is unclear, like, which people are in on it and which people aren't in on it. But, like, Sam is now confident that Crowley can call people, or Callie, not Crowley, can call people from intelligence to help him. But we leave that up in the air for now. While Michael, Fee, and Jesse get ready to blow the place up, like once Vaughn's men arrive. But then Vaughn calls Fee again, and he rightfully did not trust her (laughs) when, like, she was pretending to give herself up. And he has some insurance. It turns out that his men were able to stop Madeline before she got out of Dodge. And they have her now. Honestly, they should have expected this and had a better plan than just, hey, Madeline, drive the car that you own that everyone in the intelligence industry knows that you own to leave. Exactly. But they were like, I mean, I buy it. Like, everyone's panicking. No one's on their best right now. They're more competent at their panicking, especially when it comes to, like, keeping Madeline safe. Yeah, this is true. Anyway, they have Madeline and Michael calls Vaughn and demands to talk to Madeline. And Madeline tells him that she's already been shot, she's going to die, and that he should just run and like Vaughn has to be like no I didn't shoot her (laughs) no she's fine she's fine although like a gun guy does hit her in the shoulder and no not the shoulder he pistol whips her in the back of the head well no here's the thing this gun guy hits her in the shoulder and somehow in the process she gets some jam on the back of her head Sharon Glass is like an older woman not someone who can do a lot of stunts and I think it is her doing this and like it's not the most effective bit of stage combat and like I legitimately like she fell, and, like, I saw, like, a little bit of red in the back of her head, and I was like, oh, do you think that we think that's where she got hit? Oh, it happened fast enough, or maybe I wasn't paying attention closely enough. I bought it. Like, I bought that she was injured. I understood that she was, like, injured, but it was, like, also just, like, it wasn't, like, a very violent blow, so, like, it didn't seem like it was a thing that was going to draw blood. And so, like, when I saw, like, the blood, there was, like, a little bit of dissonance of, like, oh, Oh, okay, so she's bleeding. We're supposed to we're supposed to be believing that she's bleeding. So I can do that. I'm totally fine going along with this premise. I just want to make sure that I'm on the same page as the episode about the premise. Anyway, this happens that Michael tells Vaughn that he's going to come down. Michael knows. And Vaughn's like, oh, there's... Michael's there too. Interesting. Yeah. Like, yes, Vaughn, we all know you know it's a setup. Yeah. Michael knows that there's no deal that can be made that doesn't end up with Madeline and the rest of them dead. So he decides that the only play is to split up. Like... Fee and Jesse can get the list to, like, the congressman while Michael draws them off and blows them up by going into this, like, I feel like it's some sort of, like, weird 
maintenance shack or like a kitchen or something that's like boarded up he's like i can go into that and hold them off from there and do like a last stand there and Mm -hmm. fee is fee and jesse are like that is a last stand that is a suicide mission because he wants to draw them in and then blow them up with a bomb fee's like no you will die michael's like yeah i'm gonna die and that's fine and then everyone gets angry sad and Michael finally apologizes to Jesse, even though it seems like they're fine. And then he tells Fee that, like, maybe it's time for her to make her own way. Yeah, that's a callback to him saying it early. Because, like, basically Michael Weston's approach to emotional conversations is to not have them and basically just accept that you're going to be alone forever. And if you push people away effectively enough, maybe it will at least save their lives in the process. Um, and this is just him calling back to that. Because, like, earlier they tried to have a conversation. And he was like, you know what, maybe we should just go our separate ways. Like, because he's just like overwhelmed and doesn't want to have to have a conversation about like what are you gonna do michael what do you want this relationship to be he's just like i want it to be simple just leave me it's fine i'll survive and then this is him calling back to that specific uh scene our emotionally stunted boy our emotionally stunted boy so michael runs into the shack while under fire and cradling a bomb like a baby like he looks like he's on the run with a baby it's a but it's a bomb baby and mm-hmm. Fee and Jesse start to escape, but Fee decides that, no, she's going back because, like, her place is with him, even if it kills them both. Like, she is going to go down with him if he is going to go down. She's not going to let him be alone in this moment. Not exactly. And and you so, know what? No matter what he would have or would not have chosen, she has chosen. Exactly. And that's what I and think. She, it's like, it's kind of the end of this, because I think after this, if she goes back to, what are we? Are you going to love the CIA more than you love me? Like, it would seem insane. So I do think that this is her statement of like, you know what? I need to stop pretending like Michael Weston is not Michael Weston. And I need to decide if I'm okay with that or not. And you know what? I am until the end. Yeah. And so she jumps in the shack. And I do love like, like Gabrielle Anwar in this scene is really good. Oh my God. She fucking kills it. It's so good. It's so like I teared up. I was emotional. She jumps in the shack and like Michael is of course very mad. But Fee says, like, yeah, they're going to do this together. They both seem happy. Like, he's good, too. Like, he is, like, really good at playing this character that seems completely unable to, like, show emotion genuinely. And when it does happen, it looks awkward as hell. (laughs) Like, you know how some people are ugly criers? Yeah. Michael's, like, ugly happy in this scene. (laughs) He's ugly emoting. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I love it. But it's so vulnerable. He looks so, like, genuinely happy in a way that, like feels very vulnerable because like he's not thinking about anything and like they both have their bomb and they're both like ready to die with each other however they don't have to blow up their bomb this bomb keeps threatening to get blown up and never does they don't have to blow up the bomb because sam failure of chekhov's bomb it is Sam arrives at the cavalry and punches Vaughn in the face. Yeah, I like that. Well, like, basically, like, all out of, like, the smoke comes this big force and Sam's there and Vaughn goes, you have no jurisdiction here. And, like, Sam cuts him off with a punch. It's very, I like when Sam gets to, like, come in all commando-like and just, like, punch a bad guy in the face with a big gun. Yeah, no, it's good shit. I like it. In the aftermath of all this, like, Michael has a little moment with everybody uh he has a moment with madeline and she's getting the jam removed from the back of her head he has like a handshake with jesse where like they're buddies now yeah this uh, this is where i referenced um this is what i referenced earlier about like finally concluding i guess the love triangle yeah the love triangle like he has a one line that's like you take care of that girl or some bullshit. Yeah, it's it's some nonsense about like, you know, one of us could have owned her, but you are the best owner. 
Um, yeah. And not only was that annoying, but it was also just annoying to me that we felt like we needed, like the the, the the writers felt like we needed a conclusion to the love triangle that never happened in the first place. There was like a blip that, that, what's, that Jesse has a crush and then they immediately betrayed him. So like that kind of got dropped obviously and it was never brought up again and that's fine. And I would have been fine with yeah. us never bringing it up again. Cause of course somebody who's like theoretically at the sexual age that Fee would consider has a crush on her. How could you not have a crush on her? And that, it's valid. And like, he's it also would be like weirder if he guy. didn't have that oh, moment. <laughs> by the way, I just at this moment remembered the thing that I was going to talk about in the intro of this episode. <laughs> what were you going to talk about? Did you know that Kobe Bell is going to be in the CW Walker Texas Ranger reboot with Jared Padalecki? That does not surprise me. It is It doesn't at all. And here's the thing. I know this because I saw an ad for the Walker Texas Ranger reboot in which Jared Padalecki never, not once, kicks another person. <laughs> like, what's the point of doing a Chuck Norris role if you're not going to kick people? Like, he never does it. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like, who is this for? Who is this Walker Texas Ranger reboot for? Yeah, I have no idea. I CW has been making some wild choices recently. And like, after the era of Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it's wild to me that they're like, no, we should go back to the trash. I think the trash is what we're good at. I mean, the but trash the got capacity- the ratings. But the cap, the but yeah, but the good stuff got them Emmys and Golden Globes. True. Like it brought credibility to a place that does not deserve credibility. Do they not like but, that? Yeah. Do they not like the clout? I mean, they want they like the money. Like clout's nice, but like you know, clout's better when you're a, a pay cable network. Like Netflix and HBO can have clout. Um, anyway, I, yeah, that was just that was all I had to say about that. But like wild that he's in that show but also not at all wild that he was in that show but also wild that that show exists but yes he gets a little moment with uh with michael where they tie that up in a bow and he also gives him the list we also get like a scene of like sam just bragging and like everyone gets to have a little scene and then like of course he and fee kiss at which point he is then taken away by men in suits who are pointedly not police. Which we then cut to a scene that is apparently a week later. We, yeah, the we time left. hop was surprising to me. Because it seems like literally, it seems like a situation where he was taken away by some men and then they got in a car. Yeah, once again, the visual storytelling is important, Vern Notice. If you set up something in one scene, the next thing we see needs to make sense. You know, Exactly, so- it's not even like a like a really good like fade or something that really sells it. Like they go to commercial and come back, but there's not like a, like yeah. he's just in a car and like the idea he's wearing is wearing the he's same been, outfit. He does. He's he wearing the same like outfit. He's tired. been in a box for a week. So it's yeah. like, it looks just like, and it's not, he doesn't even look like he's more fucked up because he already went through a bunch of shit. So like, it makes sense that he's all rough and the voiceover talks about like being interrogated, but it sounds like, at first, that he's talking about interrogation that, like, he's expecting to go through. Not right. interrogation that's already happened, but apparently... Yeah, because, like, interrogation... I believed I believed that he was just tired from the day he's had. Exactly. It's been a long day. It's been a long two days. Mm-hmm. But yes, but he has been in the hole for a week, and now he's being driven, like, in a car by these two guys who will not talk to him they will not talk to him at all they don't say anything like they like they tell him that they won't talk to him but that's about it they do hand him a trench coat though 
because when he gets out of the car, when they arrive at their destination, it is snowing outside. And I will say, there was something about seeing snow on Bernadus. Yeah, it was very weird. I thought it was going to be like Russia. And I think that's kind of what they were hoping that we would assume. And also just like seeing seeing Michael Weston in a trench coat. It's not bad. No. I don't hate it. And like, Honestly, it was so interesting to see him in a different context. Yeah, it definitely was weird. But I liked it. But yeah, he gets out and he's in front of this building. And out of the building strolls character actor Dylan Baker, who is also my friend Willow's dad. <laughs> oh, you know what? I just realized something. The fact that you also didn't recognize him, because Michael seems to recognize him in this scene. When I said that in your notes, I was like, did we both forget? Or am I forgetting why I think I saw him in Burn Notice before? And I remember why I thought he'd been in Burn Notice before. He hasn't been. I just confirmed this. But the reason is because a couple of episodes ago, there was a there was an actor or there was a there was a bad guy whose last name was Sweeney. And there was this whole bit about how Sweeney doesn't sound like a bad guy name. And the reason that that connects to him is because he plays a character named Colin Sweeney, a recurring psychopath character, kind of Colin Sweeney in The Good Wife. And so I just whenever I see this guy, because that's where I know Dylan Baker from primarily, I know him as Colin Sweeney from The Good Wife. So in my mind, because we had talked about the name Sweeney and as a result Colin Sweeney in this podcast I assumed that I just forgot where Dylan Bacon had been or Dylan Baker had appeared in the show before but no we just have talked about him before and it feels wild that he's now I guess canonically in the show I knew that this was coming I knew that he was going to show up in this season at some point I did know that but yeah I thought like I was trying to figure out like have we seen Dylan Baker before and I was like no, we haven't seen Dylan Baker before because other if we had seen Dylan Baker before, I would have had to decide whether or not like I want to talk about the fact that I know his daughter <laughs> on a podcast. But like, yeah, I was like thinking, no, I would remember if Dylan Baker was on a pot like was on an episode of Bernadette's. I like Dylan Baker. I know, I do too. He's he Colin Sweeney is one of my favorite parts of The Good Wife. Oh yeah, totally. And so like we would have talked about it, but Michael knows who he is. Yeah, that was confusing. The first clue. Of where he is. And then, like, Dylan Baker says that, welcome back, and, like, gestures that he should come into the building. And then he comes in, and then we get this, like, superhero shot. Yeah, this, of, like, like, crane like, shot. This crane shot. I mean, it looks like CGI. I assume this is fake. but like, Oh, yeah, um, for sure. It's super fake looking, but, like, of, like, the camera zooming up this tall building and then pulling back so we can see in the night sky that we are in Washington, D.C.? What? And that's how the season ends. On a shot of the Capitol, which plays different right now. (laughs) This was recorded post-coup, everyone. Yeah, this was a post-insurrection episode. But yes, but a pre-whatever-awful-thing-is-going-to-go-down-at-the-inauguration. Yeah, we're like three days away from the inauguration. So if anything wild happens and you're mad we didn't talk about it in our season finale of Burn Notice, just know we are blissfully unaware that it has happened. Yeah, like, it's not our fault we're not talking about the fact that, like, Jeffrey Donovan is president now. (laughs) But know that we're excited, nonetheless. We're so excited. Anyway, Honestly, um, Joe Joe Biden is about as close to jeffrey donovan as a presidential candidate could get that's true he's kind of a bathroom sign of a president he super is and that's the season and we'll i will say like 
I like Burn Notice season cliffhangers. This is my least favorite Burn Notice series cliffhanger, but I do like it still. I think like season end cliffhangers is a thing that this show does very well. Yeah, this this show is good at potential. It's bad at execution. And so cliffhangers would be a thing that it's good at because cliffhangers are all about potential. You know? That's true. We'll talk about that potential in a bit, but first let's talk about spy tips. Great. Let's do it. In any desperate situation, the temptation is always to act immediately. It's understandable, but unwise. No matter how bad things are, the first step is always the the same. Assess the threat and figure out how bad things really are. And here's the thing. That's not a great tip, like, in terms of spy stuff, but that's also a useful thing for me to think about. We've done that before. We've allowed tips that were like, this feels like it would be useful for me in my my day-to-day life, you know, to, like, center myself and a, a daily affirmation of time. And yeah, I can feel that. That feels, that makes sense. All right. You feel good with that? Well, then we'll leave it then. I thought I was going to cut that one. But yeah, I personally liked it. And honestly, any spy tips that you personally like, especially for that reason, I am inclined to also like. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. The next one. Not all hiding places are created equal. Generally speaking, a good hiding place is hard to find, but easy to access. On rare occasions, for the most sensitive material, you have to go a step further and find a hiding place even you can't get to. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I will say, what was the, did they ever mention like what the plan was once they eventually come to retrieve it? I mean, the plan was they were going to talk to a congressman and say, hey, I think I think that was the plan. It was that they're going to talk to a congressman oh, and see. be like, it's in a nuclear power plant. Like, <laughs> you got to go get it. Yeah. like That's fair. They were pr- And like, that's actually like a thing that's like kind of useful to know when you have to do something like this. You have to do something like this, wherein your status quo is going to be different enough in the future that you might be able to get it back. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I buy so, that. Like, I like that. I was disappointed that we didn't actually follow through on this because I thought this was an interesting idea. I mean, even if they had, we wouldn't have seen much more than what we got. Like, we only I missed mean, a no, small but I just, bit. Like, I wanted to, like, figure out exactly how they were going to get it out again. But the tip is still but good. I, I still like it as a tip. All right. Road hazards are a key tool in the spy trade. Whether you're slowing traffic for surveillance, routing cars for to set up a tail, or putting yourself in a place for an ambush, it all starts with a busted road. For a quick and dirty road hazard that doesn't take too long to set up, a water line is best. Water can shut down a road without raising eyebrows. It's just a matter of getting a charge in the right place to burst the pipe out of the ground. And here's the thing. We had a tip like this a little while back that you said no to because you were like, of course, clogging up a road. So here is Matt Nix coming to the rescue to say, okay, fine. You want a more specific version of this? Take this, Brie Castellini. Yeah, no. Fuck me, I guess. The water line is a good detail. I wouldn't have thought of that. Exactly. All right. Vatnik's doing pretty good. I mean, spy tips are his thing. This is his thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very rarely concerned that a Matt Nix episode is going to at least have the spy tips. Yeah. But also, like, season finales tend to be light on spy tips. So it's That's true. Like... And this definitely is lighter than it would usually be. True. Combat medicine is not necessarily a, about long-term healing. Civilian doctors try to immobilize injured limbs to make sure they knit properly. Field medics often have to do the opposite and make broken limbs as usable as possible. Walking on a broken, bloody leg isn't good for you, but it's better than taking a bullet. I think this is useful, first of all, because I thought that was interesting, even though, like, once you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, duh. But I I mean, we we saw how they taped up his leg. We saw the materials they used. Um, and we also saw, like, Jesse add to it by adding a little pain. So, like... I don't know. I think that makes sense because I like because as somebody who has uh, read and watched as much Outlander as I have, I have 
seen a lot of like, you know, low tech medical stuff. And even in Outlander, the priority is always like set the broken thing, you know, don't take the rebar out. Like, you know, like I, I know general. Rebar. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I have seen enough to vaguely understand what you're supposed to do for an injury. And that would be my first impulse as someone who isn't super trained, but like has a basic understanding of how the human body is supposed to look. And I may not like consider mobility over like saving his life. Because in some cases, mobility does save his life, especially given that we get to see the materials they use to patch him up. And like we see what they do to mobilize him. I, I think that's good enough. It's on the line for sure. But I don't know. I got something from that. So we're keeping that. I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. Different explosives have different properties. Some release their energy in the blast while others create more heat and flame than force. Bottom line, you won't destroy a lot of a lot with propane and canned fuel, but you can put on a very good show. I feel like we've had this before, but I couldn't remember for sure. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I do think this is useful because, like, if I was somewhere, like, a garage or something and I needed to build a bomb and not having, like, good chemistry, I would think, like, oh, if there's propane, then sure, that'll probably explode. But, like, knowing that I won't destroy a lot might change things. I don't know. I find that useful. Cool. We'll keep it. And Slowly then the but surely, one. Burn Notice will teach me how to build a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> to repel down a building, you need something to slow your descent. Usually that's an anchor point, but a counterweight is equally effective. Although it's not much fun for whoever gets to be the counterweight. Is I like that... this. Oh, I like thought it? this cool. was fun. Cool. Then we'll keep that too. That's I also like it tips. when Michael Weston casually doesn't care about like the life of somebody. I just, you yeah. know, I like it when he's flipping about a bad guy's life and it's just like, this is going to suck for you. Bye. Like deuces. He doesn't get you, to do that very often. like Larry Sizemore or whatever his last name is, want to see <laughs> Michael's dark passenger. Well, yes, that's true. But I, I would rather Michael be more like Brennan and just enjoy his fucking job every once in a while. Like that's really Michael's never for. enjoyed a thing in his life except I for know. yogurt, and it's a, a and that's why yogurt is such a big thing for me. That is true. That makes sense. <laughs> um, all right, so this episode gets on wins on spy tips, and like yep, got six spy total spy o- tips. Spycraft over violence. I think so. I think they use a lot of spycraft. They, you know, they, they, they get a big guy on their side. They, um, they do a last stand where they try to like engineer situations because they're a much smaller group going up against a big army. I mean, there's not really a weekly case to figure out, so it makes it hard, but I feel like they do a decent amount of spy stuff. Oh, they do spy stuff. I'm with you. Yeah, they go up on the roof and he does that thing and that's super spy-like mm-hmm. and like, no, I definitely think spy stuff is happening. Even Madeline does kind of spy stuff. That's true. I love that when my- Madeline gets to work a uh, source. There's no alias in this episode at all. Sad. But like, were Fee and Sam used well? Fee gets to blow stuff up and has like a really wonderful moment with Michael. Uh, Sam and Madeline get to have a fun little adventure. And then Sam also gets to punch a bad guy in the face all dramatically. I say yes. You know what? I say yes too. I'm into it. I'm into it too. I, again, was a little annoyed with some of the Fee stuff, but she got to blow stuff up. She did get to blow stuff up. And she had a good dramatic moment. That last beat is good. It's very good. I like Uh-oh. where she lands with it. I wish yes. it hadn't taken us four seasons after having the same conversation over and over again, but I appreciate that it's finally like, you know what? I'm not going to sit around and wait for him to like initiate a conversation with me that he's never going to initiate because the status quo works in his favor. So I'm going to start making the status quo work in my favor and just make a choice. Yeah. Which that seems like the fee choice to make, which I think was part of what made 
like four seasons of this feel so frustrating is it like yeah she seems agreed. like a very kind of like go get him I was, like she, go get him she, type yeah like she also seems like somebody who would propose to him instead of the other exactly way around. yeah it just seems like no this seems where like where she should be in the first place yes agreed um, but okay cool so now this one is no longer necessary to get the episode but is jesse interesting enough to be a main character in this episode i think he was i like jesse in this episode I do too, because he, did we talk about how he tried to be the one to sacrifice himself? Yeah, he did. Uh, we didn't talk about it, but he did, in fact, try to be the one to sacrifice himself. Yeah, he was like, listen, I'm injured. Leave me behind. You got to go out off ahead. I'll draw them out. And Michael's like, you're not important enough. I have to go. <laughs> Which is like harsh, but fair. Um, you're not the he... main character of the show. You're not. <laughs> You may, you may be a burn notice, but I am the burn notice. I'm Mr. Burn Notice. Um, Mr. Bernard J. Notice himself. (laughs) But yeah, I thought he was nice. I thought like he, he didn't do a ton, but like he did, he felt, he finally feels like an integrated member of the ensemble. Like I do think that he feels like part of the team now. He feels like a integral part of the team. He does. And so this is the last time that we'll ever ask this question. But yeah, I think we both agree. Jesse is interesting enough to be a main character. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom. So, great episode of Burn Notice. Bing, bam, boom. Great episode of Burn Notice. Was it a great episode of television? I was going to consider it if you considered it. I did. I don't think it's as strong as last week. I enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite season finales so far. I remember. I think I remember liking the season three finale more. Oh, well, no. It, I, I also like that. That one would be my yeah. first, probably. This yeah. may be my second. But, um, but I, I enjoyed it. It was. I found it exciting and, you know. Like, all of the Mission Impossible-y, die-hardy stuff I enjoy. I thought it was a little repetitive. Yeah, I don't like, think that the turns of freight... Like, I don't think it was as well-written as last episode, which is why I, I wasn't going to make a case myself for it. Like, um, it was a solid episode of Burn Notice. I don't know yeah. if it was a solid episode of Good. television. No, yeah. Because, like, also, like, even just reading out my, like, notes... It's like really, it's one of those episodes of Burn Notice where like we're intercutting through like maybe what feels like a scene of plot, but because we're intercutting, we're like dragging it out. Like it's like three separate scenes of like Sam talking to a senator that could have been one scene. And like it's kind of the same thing with like in the hotel. It's like there's a bunch of like scenes that are kind of the same kind of scene and like we don't feel like we're progressing all that much. It just feels like we're intercutting a lot. And there's, like, no other thing. Because, like, no one's ever doing anything else. Like, it's just these two plots. And they're not moving around or anything. So it makes it feel like a weird, vaguely kind of stagnant episode to me. Yeah, I can I can see that. I Again, I like this sort of a thing more than you do anyways. Yeah. But... Not even, like... Because I didn't feel like they were doing a lot of like because no, they didn't use it to bad the breaks to me. Yeah, they didn't use it to the extent that it could be used. Like yeah, we gave I, it I don't, Spycraft I don't feel... violence, but like there wasn't like yeah. a lot of fun Spycraft. I yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I I I'm not gonna make the case. Like yeah. I would have considered it just because I enjoyed the episode. Like and I enjoy enjoying the episode. Like this was a good week to watch Burn Notice, and that's not always the case. Yeah. No, it is not. But yeah, but like, yeah, I would I would say I'm not yeah I'm not I'm not gonna fight it. It's a solid episode of television, but I would not solid, say yeah. it is a great episode of television. All right, what about this season of television? Well, let's see how it stacks up. 
So this season of television had 13 episodes of television, 10 great episodes of Burn Notice, and five great episodes of television, which, like I mentioned last week, makes it the season of television uh, with the most great episodes. So scientifically, this is the strongest season of Burn Notice so far. Can I say? I agree. I agree, too. Yeah. And I don't really... I wonder how much of that... Do we credit that to Jesse, do you think? I think we do. Like, I think we credit that to Jesse. Like, Jesse, like, forced them to feel like they were doing more of a plot plot. Yeah. I also think that introducing Jesse and having been in the weeds with Burn Notice as long as we have, there were more opportunities this season to, instead of doing the thing that they always do, which is the season finale villains, is like, this is the first time we've ever met them. We actually got to, like, sit with people. And so we, every conflict, like every major macro conflict felt earned and it felt like we wanted to see that conclusion because they didn't just come out of nowhere. Like we got to know Vaughn and it's vindicating that he's been taken down. We got to know Brennan and Larry, like we know all these peoples and we got to know Jesse. And so over the brief period of time where Jesse's kind of an antagonist, like there were emotional stakes because we knew those characters and weren't just like introduced to them as fucking, you know, Hannibal all of the sudden, even though we've never seen this person and would never see them again. So I I felt like this season finally got to capitalize on its own history in a way that I think they used effectively. And I agree. I think Jesse forced them to do a lot more interesting things because without him, like, like the, the, the having to see Michael and team make morally questionable decisions made the plot more interesting. No, totally. I, I do think, like, it's interesting, like, Vaughn wasn't, like, didn't really have that much more screen time than, like, most management-type people. But it did kind of feel like it worked better, Yeah, you know? I agree. Like, it was more satisfying that, like, when, like, Carla, whatever Well, because Carla only talked to Michael, but Vaughn interfaced with Fee. Vaughn had opinions yeah. on what they should do about Jesse. We actually went on an adventure with Vaughn the first time we met him. Like, when we met him him and Michael like went and did something. Whereas when Carla, when we met Carla, she like said some flirty things at a restaurant. And then after, after that only talked to Michael and only about like her weird plan that never came to fruition. But Vaughn seemed very grounded. Vaughn had one goal that he shared with Michael and, you know, at first seemed like kind of on their side, you know, as much on your side as a person from management could be. Like I understood what he was trying to do with Carla. It was like, we're going to assassinate someone maybe, but like she was so shrouded in mystery that it took away all the tension. So I didn't really care what she was doing or how they worked together. But with Vaughn, like we also wanted Michael to find like, you know, this information. Like, yeah, I think like this was the first season of Burn Notice that felt competently executed as a season. Yes, I agree with that. And like the f- and, and it had a, as equally of a strong first and second half in terms of like what their goal was. Like first half of the season was deal like don't nobody tell Jesse we uh, betrayed him. Please no one tell Jesse we betrayed him. And the second half was, okay, Jesse knows he betrayed him, but he agrees that we need to keep on keeping on. So we've got to figure out how to get this list. And I, I felt like that worked. They felt like they were cohesive, even as they were separate little like macro plots that kind of make up a season of television. But yeah, it feels like that they didn't do anything radically different other than introduce Jesse. But like all the things that they normally do just seemed more well executed this season. 
Yeah, it, it feels much more, much like by the end of the season, our little gang of four feel like a well-oiled machine. It f- kind of feels like the writer's room is finally really working together. Like, it doesn't feel like everyone has a very disparate understanding of what Burn Notice is. Like, you can still tell, like, this isn't Craig O'Neill episode, this is a Alfredo episode, but, like, it all feels more cohesive, and it feels better. No, I agree. So I I finally figured out a way to sort my sheet so that we can like evaluate things by writer instead of just by season. So just just to let everybody look know you now using Excel. I know. Now that we're at the end of season four, I just kind of going to look back at our, our first half of Burn Notice. So Nick Thiel, he only wrote one episode of Burn Notice, although I think he was in the writer's room for quite a while um, and was definitely a producer. But his only episode that he wrote, which was season six uh, or season one, episode six, was a great episode of television. Oh, my God. Alfredo Barrios Jr. has been credited with eight episodes total and has gotten zero great episodes of television. Hey, here's the thing. Does he kind of have one now? He was in a great episode of television. (laughs) Uh, Does not count. Not giving it to him. So speaking of no great episodes of television, Ben Watkins has been credited on six episodes solo and uh, has had zero great episodes of television. Most of his, like Barrios, ratings-wise, Ben Watkins has five out of six great episodes of Burn Notice, whereas Alfredo Barrios Jr. only has four out of eight great episodes of Burn Notice. So technically, Ben Watkins does a better job at executing the promise of Burn Notice better than Alfredo Barrios Jr., which is an interesting fact. I like thinking about the promise of Burn Notice. (laughs) I'm also trying to remember if the episode that Ben Watkins acted in was a great episode of television. It was not. I I remember, and it was not. It was not. Uh, So as a duo, Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy have written six episodes together, two of which were great episodes of television. So two of their joint episodes were great episodes of television. And separately, Craig has written four, as has Jason Tracy. So they've, they've written the same number of episodes total, but four were separate and per person and six were together and separately Craig O'Neill out of his four has had three great episodes of Burn Notice so Craig O'Neill has an almost perfect solo score of great episodes of television whereas Jason Tracy has had zero Lone Star great episodes of television Mm. we see who's pulling the weight here we see who's pulling the weight I mean like it seems like we like Trace and Jaycee's it seems like we like Jason Tracy's episodes but um, yeah, he's he's just he's not pulling his he's weight. He's not a finisher. He's not a finisher. We also had a single episode from Jason Ning, who I don't even remember. But season two, episode four was his episode, and it, we considered it a great episode of television. So we ha- we now have two people who have like swooped in, written one episode solo, and it was a great episode of television. Here's the thing: sometimes you can be too good for burn notice. <laughs> Uh, I guess so. Um, so you guys like swoop in, write an episode. We're like, we're tired. No, we don't want that shit. That quality shit. Get out of here. The episode he wrote. Oh, he wrote Comrades. Jason Ning is the one who wrote Comrades. That was a good episode. Oh, that's a fun one. But yeah, it was the only episode he wrote solo, uh, at, wrote at all. And it was a great episode of television. Um, moving on, Lisa Joy has written three episodes. One was co-written with her and Ryan Johnson. Uh, and then two were solo. Only one of her solo episodes, which was actually this season, we have considered to be a great episode of television. So one out of three, or really one out of two, if, if we're talking solo episodes. Mir Smith is the only other credited female writer on oh. Burn Notice, at least so far. Uh, she oh, has... yeah, the Buffy writer. 
Yeah, uh, she had exactly one episode that she's written, and it was not a great episode of television. It was a season one episode, so pretty much nothing in season one was good, so that sort of is par for the course. Friend of the show, Michael Horowitz, has written six episodes of Burn Notice, and three of them were great episodes of television. So 50-50, not bad, but all of his great episodes of television were seasons two and three. He wrote two episodes in season four, neither of which were great episodes of television. So while mm. the show gets better, somehow he's getting worse, which makes me nervous oh, because no. he really that is my favorite writer on the show specifically. Like he is the thing, the thing that he does well, when he does it well is my favorite version of Bernadette's. A hundred percent. Yes, I agree. Yeah. But yeah, oh, but he's only a half and halfer. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm pretty sure he's with the show until the end. So I, I hope yeah, no, that we get like, more opportunities. He's write or die for Matt Nix. Yes, he definitely is. Rashad Rosani has uh, also written six episodes and two of them were great episodes of television. So Rashad Rosani is doing good out of the ones that we consider kind of the core burn notice crew. Like for some reason, even though Jason Tracy and Craig O'Neill have collectively written way more episodes than anyone else other than Matt Nix, for some reason we don't consider them part of the main cohort. And I don't know why. I guess it's because their episodes seem so unlike what Burn Notice normally is. Well, that's the thing. Is that, like, they're, like, part of the the other cohort. Like, the thing is that, like, they're making comedy Burn Notice. Like, sure. Like, they're, like, making episodes that are kind of specifically brand a little. Not off-brand, but, like, they have, a, they have their own version of the show that seems less in line with Matt Nix's version of the show. And I think that's the thing. I think it's like, it's not just like how many you've written. It's like, how close are you to what is clearly Matt Nix's vision of the show? That's fair. But yeah, Rashad Razani is batting the best so far. Two out of six episodes. Uh, and then we have one episode written by Ryan Johnson, who was also the co-writer on Lisa Joy's episode, as well as uh, Peter Lilanus. Uh, Lilianus, who follows us on Twitter, <laughs> although has never interacted with us other than following us on Twitter. So I'm very nervous. Um, but the only episode that they co-wrote was the hurricane episode, which we considered a great episode of television. You disputed oh, yeah. it slightly, but we did come down on it being a great episode of television. So all three of the four people who have only written one episode of Burn Notice so far had be- had them be great episodes of television. The only person who had a, solo- a single credited Burn Notice episode to their name who didn't get a great episode of television is Mir Smith. Huh. Isn't that interesting? But I haven't talked about Big Daddy yet. Big Daddy, I was saving him for last. So Big Daddy Nix has written 15 total episodes of Burn Notice. One of them was a great episode of television. And again, that was this season. Season fin- we, we considered the season premiere of season four to be the first That's right. and so you far did. only great episode of television written by Matt Nix. Love you, Daddy. We love you, Daddy Nix. Thank you um, for oh, the show. I will say, so this season of Bernardo season four has been objectively the best so far, scientifically and otherwise, but it's also had the lowest yogurt count since episode, uh, since season one. So season one had nine yogurts, season two had 18.5, season three had 19, and season four only has 10. Oh my goodness. And the only reason that that happened is because there was a single yogurt per episode that they appeared in, except for... Rashad Razani's final episode of the season, which had two on-screen yogurts. So My Rashad Razani made it so that at least there were more yogurts this season than season one. Good for Rashad Razani. Rashad Razani knows what's up. He knows what's up. You know what? I, I'm starting to get to the point where when his name comes up, I'm like, I don't just internally go, oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, me too. I'm like, like no, this- he's competent. He knows what he's doing. 
And at this point, I'm, I think I'm leaning more towards like, ooh, than ugh. Like the only people yeah, I no, still kind I'm of always... ugh at are Matt Nix, Alfredo Barrios Jr., and Ben Watkins. But everybody else, they're, yeah. they've proven themselves to me. Although I might have to start groaning no. at Jason Tracy again. Yeah. Because <laughs> now it's been proven. It's, it's been proven. proven who like who butters the bread. Yeah. In that pair. All right. Um, how How do we feel about next season? So next season, and somebody spoiled this on Twitter already, and also allegedly I've seen next season. I've seen, I think, through season six, I but I, I've only seen these seasons once, and it was over 10 years ago, so I don't remember. But I was spoiled on Twitter that this was next season was the one where Michael like runs a CIA team, um, kind of like, at least I think tangentially to the CIA, if not fully back in. Um, and so I'm hoping it won't be annoying. I hope so too. Cause it's going to be frustrating if like all we have is like, we watch Phoebe frustrated by having to work within the system. I hope it's fun. That would be very annoying. She, Cause like if she's frustrated working within the system, but in like a fun way, you know, like in a way where like a bad guy is like, ugh, you people with your morals, you know, like that kind of like fun annoyance, then I can deal with that. But I don't want it to just be a season where Fee's like, we should go back on the run and be vigilantes. And Michael should be like, I like having a government paycheck. And like, that's going to be an annoying season. Yeah. I hope that that is kind of what it is. I will say I haven't been spoiled on too much, but to part the curtain a little bit, when Brie and I reconvened for like after our winter break of that recording, I thought we had finished season four. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about this. I thought we'd finished season four. And so when I started watching Burn Notice, I started watching the season five premiere. And like, I was like, wow, we did a whole time jump after we got that list. <laughs> um... And, like, so I watched, like, a good, like, basically the recap of, like, not the recap, but, like, a little bit of setting up the status quo. That's how, also how I knew that Dylan Baker was on the show. Uh, I, yeah, I was wondering why you were like, I just know anything that Dylan Baker's in, so I've, wait, I've been waiting for him to show up on Burn Notice. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, like, I saw that, and I was like, oh, hey, Dylan Baker. And that was part of it, too. It was like, we're treating Dylan Baker like he's not new. That was kind of what gave it away. I was like... No, Dylan Baker is new. <laughs> um, so, like, I have, like, kind of a sense, but, like, very vaguely. Like, I yeah. maybe watched, like, five minutes of that episode, but, like... I think the thing that I most want is for next season to finally put the last nail in the coffin for Michael doesn't actually want his old job back. Can we please, for the love of God, talk about anything else? Like, between him yeah. and his mom, between him and Fee, between him and Sam, between him and Jesse, I just want it over with. And I hope that the answer to why Michael no longer talks about, like, oh, I wish I was back in the CIA, is an interesting one. That's all that I'm looking for. That's kind of the thing, is that, like, part of me, like, doesn't know what this show is if he doesn't want to get back in the CIA. Like, like, well, I mean, it's just what they do normally, but without, like, but, but with, like, a, a villain that isn't related to you know, his burning that is the macro Yeah, I guess that's the question. It was like how this show doesn't know how to tell stories that aren't about management. And I'm hoping that it finally does. That's what I'm saying. Like, maybe it will learn. But the thing is, like, I am so, like, in tune to the rhythms of the show that, like, it's hard for me to think of, like, what a version of it that isn't that looks like. And Um, I'm, I'm leaving myself space to be excited about it. Because I think at the end of last season, the thing I talked about was like, 
I don't know a lot about Jesse. We both have a, a disturbing feeling that maybe he's just another Michael. And I just hope that he's interesting and he adds something new to the ensemble. And I think he did. So I think that part lived up to itself. Yeah. Speaking so we'll of, see if like they can do that. So speaking of Jesse, though, I think now that we're at the end of season four and Jesse is fully a, man, a main member of the ensemble, we need to redo our episode rating system. So what are we going to do about Jesse? Are we going to integrate him into step four? Is Were the side characters used well? Because it feels stupid to have him be his own little guy now. No, um, of course. It, that'll just kind of make the arithmetic slightly more Weird. complicated. It, like it'll, it'll be a two thirds sort of a thing. Or right. should we split all of the main character, all of the side characters out into their own or this is my final pitch, which I'm kind of enjoying. Well, no, I can't take it. I was about to pitch something that had to do with Maddie, but then I was like, but the show, making a good episode of Burn Notice isn't about including Maddie. Right, Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think we can count on that. Because um, okay. I was going to pitch that Jesse and Madeline get combined. But I'm kind of leaning on the side of like, especially because we count them as, you know, the partial completion matters in the arithmetic, breaking it out so we have six rating systems. So... Practical Spy Tips, Spycraft Over Violence, Alias, Fee, Sam, Jesse. That's interesting. Because otherwise it's such an overcrowded bit is my only no, it's, thing. No, no, you're right. You were correct in this instinct. I'm just like trying to think about like, do we feel comfortable with like our scientific our scientific method of figuring out what makes a good burn, is, burn notice episode, like being so strongly swayed by did these specific characters get moments? Like, I'm fine with that. But like, is that like what it is also like if it was that that's like six points how many does it have to get i mean i think it would have to get four in the same way that if we'd made it four points they'd have to get two of the three characters doing well if it needed to break a tie like it it, either way it skews it in favor of the supporting cast right no that makes sense if we include madeline what if it was, are at least two supporting characters used well? And it's just one rule. Like, so instead of like, are Fee and Sam used well? It's like, are at least two of these characters used well? And it yeah, be I think I can do combination that. combination of two. So we need to now then define what it means for Jesse and Madeline to be used well. So like for Fee, it's still, I would say for Fee, it's either Fee gets to blow something up or is sort of the de facto protagonist, which does happen. Like she gets to yeah. be like a pseudo protagonist. I guess this is kind of the question is like, how much do we, part of me wants to like play it by ear and just like keep it sort of vague, but that kind of goes counter to the whole endeavor where it's like, you're trying to make it as objective as possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think for Madeline used well means either has a genuine emotional moment with another character that makes the other actor better or gets to be a part of the investigation that week. That makes sense. And I think, like, for Jesse being used well, we could actually kind of still use the rubric that we've been using a little bit. Because what we kind of developed over the course of season four was, is he doing a thing that, like, only he can do? So it's almost like, like, is Jesse a distinct character from the other ensemble, from the rest of the ensemble? Yeah. And, like, him being used well is, like, him being a distinct character. Is he a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? Yes. Cool. And then keeping them kind of the same for Fee and Sam, obviously. Yeah, I think um, peak Bruce Campbell still kind of makes sense. Because, like, I mean, even peak Bruce Campbell can encompass some of the more dramatic beats that we've seen. Like, does Sam get to have buddies? <laughs> does Sam get to get some hammy? Or does Sam get to, like, 
be a commando big guy and like you know do something uber violent or i think also at this point and i think also at this point part of the character is does he get to torture someone because he's so delighted in getting to torture he loves it so much having like two of them be used well makes sense to me i like that yeah and I like adding Madeline. I think at this point now, I've since you even to mentioned add it, Madeline for a while. I, I have too, especially because like you said, either this episode or last that like, it's nice that we finally like Madeline. Um, and yeah. I made the point like, it's because the show finally likes Madeline. I think now that the show likes Madeline too, we should include her. Right. I like this. Um, this feels like this rubric system also just makes me excited because it means we get to look out for all of these things. And like, Truly so much of Burn Notice to what Michael Horowitz told us a while back is the connect is the characters. And like that's what I love about procedural television. And what I have always loved about the procedural television that I tend to spend my time on is is the cast good? Are the supporting characters fun and funny? And are they good at working as a team? And am I compelled by the relationships, you know? encompassed in our main ensemble and finally i think burn notice is living up to that instead of just disparate moments of like fun we are now like we care about this core group of people and they all seem to have equal stakes in the story to a certain extent or certainly more equal states than stakes than they used to and that excites me no it makes sense it's nice to have like a new sort of lens that you're watching Burn Notice through because we have to keep watching Burn Notice. We do, but only like, three more seasons. Any way to make that feel fresh. <laughs> I mean, we're over the hump. We're we're solidly in the end game. Yeah. You excited? I I mean, I'm excited to not have to edit this podcast anymore, <laughs> but I'm not, I, but I, you know, I'm going to miss it, I think. And who um, knows if we'll, I mean, we might make another podcast. If you guys have a opinion that isn't leverage on what show we should watch next, maybe reach out to us but um i mean i'm definitely gonna miss like talking to you about tv every week so i hope we do yeah. something um yeah. so we should briefly talk about our break so so this this sort of the timing didn't work out amazing because you guys are barely getting more burn notice before we go on break again between seasons right. but as always we will have some uh bonus episodes we don't know if the gang of burn notice notice is going to come back but even if they don't we have at least two bonus episodes coming towards you in the next couple of weeks um i'm not going to promise when they're going to come out but they will come out between seasons four and five so the first obviously is that we're going to watch the fall of sam acts which aired on television after season four so it makes sense that we'd watch it after season four uh and thank you to larry and olivia mayer who both recommended this to us on twitter and in email so thanks for the shout out guys and also we will be watching the television series the comedians and the good guys as suggested kind of by listener matt culkin so those are going to be the two definite episodes that we do. Maybe we'll have the Burn Notice Notice crew back. Maybe we won't. We'll we'll see how they're feeling. It's been quite a while since they made a weekly podcast about our podcast. So maybe the bit is exactly. over. But uh, we will definitely let you know on Twitter as always. And um, yeah, that's that's it for me. Anything else from you? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, how do you feel about all the like... end of this season? You you came out this season. I did. It's that is true. This is a weird <laughs> season of burn notice for that. Like, and like, and this season, I think, started pre-pandemic, didn't it? Yeah, no. This was like a wild season for us as people. <laughs> like, say what you will about like burn notice, but this is like a pretty interesting document of our lives during chaos. 
mm-hmm. on Twitter, like tell us what you thought about the season. Yeah. And and like give us not some about burn like, notice. I about us. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, not about burn notice. About us as people, like what it was like to live through this time with us. Yeah, for real. Tell um, us what it was like to listen to Burn Notice every week while the world fell into chaos around us. Uh, how was and your we year? We talked about like the past. Yeah, yeah. What um, was what was the cognitive dissonance like of living through right. a terrifying future and reliving the recent past? Yeah, just talk to us more. We're serious when we say yeah. you should email us. And yeah, yeah as as always. Nonsense. As always, if you have ideas for bonus episodes um, or questions for us, uh, which could also be a bonus episode, or just want to like tell us that we're we're doing good, which a handful of you have done, and it's all been very, very heartwarming, get in touch. Burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or at burnnoticedpod, both with a D. Because, like, yeah, like, I think we, like, occasionally, especially, like, earlier in our run when I think we may have had more, like, weird Republican cops that, <laughs> like, were into Burn Notice. Like, but, like, generally, Burn Notice fans are really nice people. Yes, they've all been so nice. They're, Somebody... They're all so, like, delightful people. Somebody been, tagged like, us on Twitter. All of you. Um, because somebody was talking about um, the pro te- the recent coup, and they were like, hey, now that we're seeing all of these, like, stupid coup people getting caught because they filmed themselves at the Capitol, will journalists finally listen to protesters about not filming our faces when you're covering a protest? And then somebody responded, yeah, it seems like no none of these idiots ever watch Burn Notice. And then one of our listeners tagged us in a reply to that, which I thought was very funny. That is so funny. And so like, sweet. I yeah. don't know how often that listener listens to us because it's one of the people who found us on Twitter, didn't like that we were mean about the pilot, but has continued to talk to us. And I never know how often they actually listen to the show. But Patty, I, I appreciated that. I like it when you tag us in things that other people mention about Burn Notice. It actually does a really good job of spreading word about our show. And I really appreciate your continued support. Exactly. And we, we, appreciate, all of, we appreciate all of your continued support. And the people who continue to download and listen to this podcast every week that it comes out. Yeah, there's about a hundred of like, you every week. And I love each and every one of you, except for the cops. Exactly, except for the cops. But I think we've um, I think we've thoroughly gotten them out of the site. I think we've gotten them out. But like, yeah. Like, thank you all. Really. You're all delightful. And also, thank you once more to Vincent E.L., for our theme music, if you want more from Vince, and you do, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. Beyond that, we'll see you at bonus episodes, and we'll let you know when season five is coming. But until all that happens, bye! Even once Trump's not on the ballot, please don't vote for Gary Johnson. I promise you, you won't get what you want out of it. Bye!